you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, go ahead and open them to Genesis chapter 2, and we're going to be in verses 1 through 3. Genesis 2, verses 1 through 3. And the title of this sermon is Never Ending Rest. Well, today we'll move from chapter 1 to chapter 2, kind of. And I'll show you what I mean by that in just a moment. But so far, we've seen God as the sovereign creator of the universe. We've seen him both form and then fill the earth by the power of his word through his spirit. He created the heavens and the earth. In other words, he created everything out of nothing. He brought order out of chaos and light out of darkness. He created man and woman in his own image. We saw that each of the first six days corresponded to another day of creation. Day one to day four, day two to day five, day three to day six. And yet again, we'll see that day seven today is different. It has no corresponding day, but we're already ahead of ourselves. Uh, I mentioned just a second ago that we were moving into chapter 2 of Genesis. Kind of. What do I mean? Well, we have to remember that the chapter and verse designations weren't, were not, part of the original text of the Bible. Uh, while they're generally reliable and helpful, they didn't come until much later, and they aren't inspired or inerrant. Uh, a man by the name of Stephanus, who was a printer and a scholar, added these chapter and verse designations in the 16th century. And on this one, it's pretty clear that the first verses of chapter 2 go together with chapter 1. So look at the mirroring of Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 2-1. Uh, they're meant to be bookends to the chapter. Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. And then here at the end, Genesis 2, 1, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all of the host of them. Do you see that? God has now finished what he started. He's taken formlessness, and he's given it form. He's taken void, and he's filled it with all the host. He's finishing what he started. Now, I want to begin our journey today by asking a couple of basic questions. Number one, how many of you need rest? Not just physical rest, but rest for your soul. This world is a crazy place. It's so easy to be weary and burdened with all of the toil and the chaos around us. How many of you need rest? Then, question two. Why did God rest? Verse two. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. 
He rested. Shabbat. He Sabbathed. Why did God rest? Well, one thing's for sure. It wasn't because he needed a nap or because he was tired in any way. Psalm 121 verses 2 through 4 says this. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. God never sleeps. In fact, this point is made actually in mockery of other so-called gods in 1 uh, Kings 18. 1 Kings 18, verses 25 through 27. Uh, this is the contrast between Baal and the God of the Israelites, Yahweh. Uh, the prophets of Baal have made their altar, and so has Elijah, to find out which one of these gods is real. 1 Kings 18, starting in verse 25. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first, for you are many. And call upon the name of your God, to put, um, but put no fire to it. And they took the bull that was given to them, and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made. And at noon, Elijah mocked them. Check this out. Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is musing, or he is relieving himself, or he is on a journey. Or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. Isn't that awesome? Elijah's God, the God of Israel, the one true God, he's wide awake, and he reveals himself from heaven with fire. God never slumbers or sleeps. He doesn't need a nap, and he never gets tired. He's omnipotent, all-powerful. So, why does he rest here in Genesis 2? Well, it's important for us to know at the beginning that this word, Shabbat, isn't about physically needing a break. It means primarily to cease. To cease. What God is doing here is ceasing from his work that he has done in creation. But it's not a passive ceasing. Not at all. Think about this. Were God to completely cease from working, the universe would implode. He's constantly holding all things together, Colossians 1 tells us. What God is doing here is ceasing from his work in creation to make it a holy day. Notice this in verse 3 of our text. With all of the amazing things that God created in days 1 through 6, even humans at the pinnacle, this is the very first thing in the text that he's declared holy. A day. A day that's set apart and different. And the Hebrew here goes out of the way to make that point. Verses 
two and three are written in four different lines of poetry, each with seven words. And at the center of each of those lines is the phrase, seventh day. Kent Hughes comments here that the seventh day stands apart in solitary grandeur as the crown of the six days of creation. This indicates not only immense literary craft, but deep theological significance. From the beginning of creation, the seventh day was central, not only to creation, but to the ultimate destiny of God's people, as we shall see. What do you think Moses is trying to tell us here? He's telling us that God's creation is perfect and complete, finished. And in that, God is pausing to celebrate and recognize the accomplishment. Now, I've never run a marathon. I admire those who do. And at the end of the race, there's always this arch of some sort, right? A tape that they run through to acknowledge what they've just done. It's a moment to be celebrated and acknowledged. Uh, Unlike God, the marathon runners are worn out and tired at this point. But this seventh day is a marker at the end of six glorious days of creation where God stops, acknowledges, and celebrates what he's done. In creation, I want us to see this, he's a finisher. He's done what he set out to do. He's accomplished it to the praise of his glory. Here at day seven, God is completely satisfied in what he's done. Nothing needed to be added to adjusted, or taken away. It was exactly as he intended it. Ponder that for a moment. Can you imagine the amount of peace that must come with a moment like that? In our post-Genesis 3 world, it's hard to imagine, isn't it? If you've ever completed, with quotes around it, completed a housing project, you know how this works. There's always more to be done. Something will wear out or or break or not be exactly right. There's always more work to be done in a post-Genesis 3 world. But not here. It was perfect and finished. No more work needed on creation. Do you see the joy in this? It's this, this joy, this delight that Isaiah highlights in Isaiah 58, verses 13 and 14. Isaiah 58, 13 and 14. It says, if you turn your back, uh, if you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight in the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The Sabbath day is a day of delight in the Lord, a day of celebrating what God has finished perfectly in creation. And it's this aspect uh, 
that gets highlighted actually in the fourth commandment in Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. So as part of the Ten Commandments, the fourth one says this, Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Can you imagine just how that would have affected God's people at that moment? Remember, they've just come out of being slaves in Egypt, where they were worked ruthlessly seven days a week. And God here is telling them, on the seventh day, rest. Remember what I did in creation. In a 52-week year, that's seven and a half weeks off to think about celebrate God as the perfect finisher of creation. And I want us to see that even in this rhythm, resting is fundamentally about trust. Resting is fundamentally about trust. How so? Well, when you consciously decide to take the seventh day to rest, You're trusting God to provide in six days what the rest of the world is working for in seven. You're acknowledging that everything you have is from God, even the things that you've worked for in the other six days. You're acknowledging that when you take your hand off of the wheel for a day, that God is going to sustain you. How's that working out for Chick-fil-A? pretty well. They're trusting God in that. It's so easy to begin to think that we keep the world spinning, isn't it? We we get involved in our work, and it's good work. And we begin to think that everything relies on us. But it doesn't. Taking the seventh day to cease is about acknowledging God to celebrate that he keeps the world spinning completely without us. He's doing just fine. You can rest in that truth. Do you feel the the weight come off of your shoulders when you acknowledge that truth? God, not your work, keeps the world spinning. Funny thing, when we acknowledge that, It actually makes us better workers when we return to the other six days. So first, Sabbath is about celebrating God as a finishing God in creation. And I want to point out this word in our text. It's the word kalah, finish. It appears two other times in the Old Testament for important works of completion. The first is Exodus chapter 40, with the building of the tabernacle. So remember, 
The tabernacle is meant to be a recreation of what? Eden, the garden. Exodus chapter 40, verse 33. And he, meaning Moses, he erected the court around the tabernacle and the altar and set up the screen of the gate of the court. So Moses, there's that word, finished the work. All of the prescribed work for 12 to 14 chapters is culminated. It's complete with the setting up of the veil. God, through Moses, has completed what he started. Then there's 2 Chronicles 7, verses 11 and 12. That was the tabernacle. This is the building of God's house. This is the second place this word appears. 2 Chronicles 7, 11 through 12. Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord in the king's house. All that Solomon had planned to do in the house of the Lord and in his own house, he successfully accomplished. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. There's no more work to be done on this house. It's finished. And God is pleased to dwell there. So God, through Solomon, has completed what he started. But there's more to this seventh day of ceasing. It's about, first and foremost, we've already said this, it's about God's accomplishment in creation, but it's also about God's accomplishment in salvation. Look with me at Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 15. This is another recounting of the Ten Commandments. Remember, earlier the text we looked at, Moses highlighted creation in six days of creation in Exodus 20. But here, in Deuteronomy 5, it's something different. Deuteronomy 5, verse 15. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Isn't that interesting? He's, he's rooting observance of the Sabbath in remembering God's work of redemption, moving them from slave to free through the blood of a Passover lamb. Do you see where we're going with this? The, the twofold meaning of Sabbath is about celebrating God as creator and celebrating him as redeemer. God finished what he started in creation perfectly. No more work needed. God finished what he started in the temple and in his house where God and man meet. No more work needed. And what do we see Jesus crying out from the cross in John 19, verse 30? When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, what? It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It is finished. The work of redemption was accomplished. God, through Christ, had finished what he started. No more work needed. Remember what I said earlier. The Sabbath is fundamentally about trust. In creation, 
We, we trust God to be our provider and to keep the world spinning without us. And in redemption, we trust that Christ and he alone is our salvation. Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. And he's our Sabbath rest. In fact, he fulfills the Sabbath. Look at Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, verses 23 through 28. It says, One Sabbath, he, meaning Jesus, was going through the grain fields. And as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look! Why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Same idea in John chapter 5 when Jesus heals a man. John chapter 5 verses 15 through 17. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus. Because he was doing these things, uh uh-oh, on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. Do you see it? It's not about law-breaking. It's about Jesus fulfilling the Sabbath and giving us rest through his work. Let's do a bit of biblical theology here to understand this better. In Genesis chapter 1, both times that God blesses something, animals, and then humans, it's paired with life. Be fruitful and multiply. And here in our text, the third blessing of a day brings with it spiritual life. Rest. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, which we'll get to next week, Lord willing, it says this, Genesis 2, 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work and keep it. This word put is the Hebrew word nuach, which along with Shabbat means rest. Nuach, rest. So God took the man and rested him in the garden. Everything is as it should be. Adam was at rest in the garden. Full trust in God and full peace with God. Shabbat and Shalom. That's a portrait of paradise right there. But we know what happened only one chapter later. Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve sin against God, rejecting his rule, and therefore losing Shabbat and Shalom. They're expelled from the garden, the place of rest. And then... Genesis 5 rolls up, and there's this guy named Noah. What does Noah sound like? Noah. Rest. Genesis 5, verses 28 and 29. 
When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son, and he called his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief or rest, Noah, from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Genesis 5. Would this be the one to bring them rest? No. Noah wrongfully took of the fruit of the vine, getting drunk, and he ended up naked and ashamed, just like Adam in the garden. Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5, they're given the Ten Commandments, and they're told to set aside the seventh day as a day of rest. God's people are remembering. They're remembering God's restful creation and redemption. And they're longing for what? For that garden rest. But they're still not there. Then, Deuteronomy 25, verses 17 through 20. It says, Remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you came out of Egypt, how he attacked you on the way when you were faint and weary, and cut off your tail, those who were lagging behind you, and he did not fear God. Therefore, When the Lord your God has given you rest from all your enemies around you in the land that the Lord your God has given you for an inheritance to possess, you shall blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. You shall not forget. A promised land of what? Rest. Joshua, who was Moses' servant. Joshua enters that land that God promised them. And it's a great land. But there's just one problem. They're still a sinful people who rebel against God and forget him. They're still not at peace with him. They're not fully at rest. No true shalom or Shabbat. They, just like Adam and Eve before them, are exiled from their place of rest. They end up out of the promised land and out of rest. And that's how the Old Testament ends. Then comes Jesus, whose name is Yeshua in Hebrew, by the way. Joshua, which means the Lord saves. And what do we see Jesus saying in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 and 30? He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you what? Rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so I'll ask you again, how many of you need rest? I know I do. Jesus will give you rest. In him, you will find rest for your souls. But how did he accomplish that? We've already seen it. Through his substitutionary, sacrificial death on the cross, where he proclaimed what? It is finished. Shalom and Shabbat to the fullest extent in Christ. Peace and rest. God always finishes what he starts. The work of redemption, 
that, that started with a promise in Genesis 3.15 was finished upon the cross. And then what do we see in heaven? Revelation chapter 14, verses 12 through 13. It says, Here is a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. Do you see that? One day, for the dead who die in the Lord, there will be rest from all labor. Rest, because God is satisfied. Everything is complete. The job is done. This is what the garden and the promised land were actually pointing to. Heaven, where there will be rest forever with God. Shabbat and shalom. Rest and peace. And look what Hebrews chapter 4 does with all of this. This is amazing. Hebrews 4 verses 1 through 11. I know this is a long text, but follow with me. Hebrews 4, 1 through 11. says, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they have heard did not benefit them, for they were not united by faith. Key word. They were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, just as he said. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. Verse 4. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. I love that. He says, oh, it's written somewhere. It's Genesis 2. <laughs> For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, They shall not enter my rest. Since, therefore, it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day today, saying through David so long afterward in the words already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if, and this is key, for if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Do you see that? Rest, Shabbat, is fundamentally about trust. It's about belief. That's how we obtain. That's, that's how we enter into that blessed rest. It says, for we who have believed enter that rest. In other words... The Sabbath isn't marked by what you shouldn't do, but by what you should do. You should believe in Jesus Christ. 
You should celebrate God's good and gracious gifts of creation. You should rest in the redemption that's yours through Jesus. And that's why we gather as a church, not on Saturday, the Jewish Sabbath, but on Sunday. Because Jesus fulfilled the Sabbath. He rose from the grave on Sunday, the first day of the week. We gather as a church to worship him, to rest in him, to be reminded of God's work of creation and his work of redemption. God always finishes what he starts, and he does it perfectly. That's what the Sabbath is all about, resting in the finished work of Christ. Do you see why it's so sinister to add works to this? The Sabbath is about resting from our works, not resting on our works. I'll say that again. The Sabbath is about resting from our works, not, on, not, not resting on our works. The Sabbath is a portrait of the gospel. No works. You can't earn it. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, Paul reminds us, he says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Friends, learn the lesson of day 7. Stop trying to, to work your way to rest. It's impossible. You could never do enough good works to make your way back to Eden in relationship with God. Christ has done it all. And we, we enter that rest by grace through faith. Cease from your works. That's the only way to Shabbat and Shalom. Jesus did all of the work needed and then he sat down at the right hand of the Father, who, like on day seven, was satisfied with his completed work. It was finished. Augustine once wrote that our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. That's exactly right. Come to Jesus. He will give you rest for your souls. And until you do, your heart will be restless, trying to work to earn your own salvation, trying to work to secure an identity that ultimately won't satisfy, trying to find meaning and purpose. Only Christ can satisfy. Only Christ can give you identity, purpose, and meaning. And only Christ can ultimately give you rest for your soul. And one more thing. Do you happen to notice that unlike every other day of creation that finished with, and it was evening and it was morning, the first, second, third, fourth, fifth, and sixth day, day seven doesn't have it. Why is that? It's because our Sabbath rest has no end. For those who trust in Christ as the only hope of salvation, 
We get Sabbath rest forever. There's no evening and no morning on this Sabbath rest. So, brothers and sisters, we gather on the Lord's day to celebrate God, the God of creation, who gives us all good things. And we also gather to celebrate the God of redemption, who miraculously and graciously saved us out of slavery to sin and death. Isn't the Sabbath good? Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. This is God's word so far. Genesis 2, 1 through 3. Let's pray.